I'm grateful for the media team, Nathan heads that team, uh, for the different uh, videos and things they prepared for this. Thank you, Christy Gibson, for writing the uh, Advent wreath, and to Andy and Trinity for reading. They do a great job. We are talking about the Grinches that steal Christmas. And we've gone through several of them. Today we get to the one that may be the central Grinch. We're going to talk about the Grinch of the grudge. And as we do so, we're remembering that Jesus is Lord and He is Messiah. When we get to that part, Tim, about singing Jesus Messiah, I just want to sing at the top of my lungs, you know. Can you hear me up here? You can hear me? Oh, goodness. All right. But I just, I still, I still want to sing at the top of my lungs because it's just a confession I want to make from the very depths of my heart. I know you feel the same way. You want to sing Jesus Messiah. He is Messiah. He is Lord of all. And we have had this reading from Leviticus 19.18 already that says, Do not seek revenge or bear a grudge against anyone among your people. But love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. And the Lord is capitalized because it's that personal name in the text, Yahweh, sometimes transliterated Jehovah. And when that name is used in the Hebrew, they capitalize it. I am the Lord. He is the Lord. And this is our first introduction to what Jesus later identifies as the second commandment like unto the first. The first being, love your neighbor as yourself. The second one, like unto it being, or or love God with all your heart. And the second, love your neighbor as yourself. In these two, Jesus says, are summarized all the law and the prophets. So having been identified as a central tenet, to who Jesus wants us to be and what he wants us to do. We look with interest on its first mention. Love your neighbor as yourself, contrasted with do not take revenge and do not hold a grudge. And if this is the great commandment, love your neighbor as yourself, then this must be its antithesis, taking revenge and holding a grudge. So there's something about holding that grudge and seeking revenge against those who hurt you. There's something about that that is the opposite of what God wants you to do. And Jesus takes this so seriously. He works it into the model prayer, which we will recite together, all right? Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. 
Now, some of you who are raised in other religious traditions might not include that last phrase, which is in Matthew's account of the model prayer. And most of us are searching for the right word when we get to forgive us our trespasses because we've heard debts used there. And in fact, if you look up the parallel text to Matthew, you discover that Luke uses both the word sins, hamartia, and the word debts in the body of the model prayer. A debt is something that you owe. It's like that mortgage that hangs over your head every month or that big car payment you decided to take on two years ago when things were going so fine and now writing out $700 every month is really a chore to you and you feel like you're almost enslaved by that debt. That word is used as well. What we do in the model prayer we just uh, recited is we reach down to a word that is used in Matthew after the model prayer, the word trespass. Luke also uses this word. It is a side slip. It is dropping something and missing it. It's going beside it. It's like you're on a path in a canyon and it's narrow and steep and your foot slips and the rocks go down. That's a side slip. Or like you're dribbling the ball down the court and your foot goes out and you step on the line. That's a side slip. Forgive us our side slips, our trespasses. That's breaking the boundary. Our sin, that's missing the mark, not being everything we ought to be, falling short of the glory of God. Forgive us our iniquity. That's Receiving good gifts and then twisting them and making them into something bad. All these words talk about sin. Forgive us our trespasses, we pray. And Jesus makes this comment afterward. For if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you forgive not men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. This is the comment Jesus makes on the model prayer right after he gives it. And we think perhaps he's being too stern. He's overstating the case like sometimes he uses hyperbole, you know, pluck out your eye, cut off your hand. We understand Jesus doesn't want us maiming ourselves. He wants us with all our life to refuse these things that destroy us. But I find this not to be hyperbole. I find this again and again in the teachings of Jesus. The grudge you see begins with trespass. Trespass is the reason it's good news that Jesus has been born. It's for trespass that he came. That's why they say, unto you was born this day in the city of David in Bethlehem a Savior. A Savior? Who's he going to save? We trespassers! That's who he's going to save. And so we come to a core teaching of the Bible, which is... We are trespassers. Every single boy and girl, man and woman, parent, grandparent, brother and sister, every neighbor, every friend, 
everyone is a trespasser. And Jesus, our Savior, is numbered among the transgressors. He came in among us, becoming flesh in Bethlehem. At his death, numbered with those who transgress and trespass, accused as a criminal. He came to rescue we who are criminals indeed in our offense against God. Almost every Sunday, in some way, in small group or in our worship service, we talk about sin because it is the reason we need a Savior and all of us are conscious of it. The grudge begins in trespass. Somebody sins against you. Somebody hurts you. Somebody wounds you. And the grudge lodges in your heart. The grudge begins in trespass, but the grudge grows into bitterness. The word says, see to it that no one falls short of the grace of God and that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and defile many. That happens. Many are defiled by this bitter root that grows up and the reason it grows up in us is because we fall short of the grace of God. See, God gives His grace. He loves to forgive. He gives His Son on our behalf. He pours out His blood for us so that we can be rescued from our transgressions. And we fall short of His grace when we refuse to forgive another, when we hold the grudge. But really, the grudge holds us. In fact, the word for grudge in the New Testament is like being captured, being captive, being held. The grudge actually holds us. It lives this grudge that we hold against the one who has offended us. It lives in the sour disposition, in the furrowed brow, in the sulking attitude. The grudge lives but not in the one to whom it is aimed. It lives in its host, the one who holds the grudge. You do no damage to your enemy by refusing to forgive him. No, you're holding it in your heart. And the longer you hold it there, the more likely it is to become a root of bitterness. It lives in you, my friend, this grudge you hold. In your brain, in your emotions, in your relationships, in your heart, you host the grudge. And the grudge is loose in you. It is not contained either to the person it is directed toward or to the compartment in your life where you have chosen to harbor it. 
The grudge seeps into all aspects of your life, affecting your attitude toward yourself and others and God. It changes your vocabulary, this grudge that you harbor. It adjusts the focus of your life, this grudge you hold on to. It changes your emotions. It may make you an angrier person. And you don't confine that angry spirit in some sealed off place in your heart. It spills over. It seeps out. It lives in you and it's loose in you. It can turn you into a difficult person to be around this grudge. Aimed at somebody else, but harbored in you. And all of a sudden, the friends that used to enjoy your company, now that sour disposition, that anger that comes out, all of a sudden, here and there at times, those bursts, that negative spirit, it's not so fun to be around you anymore. You've let it stay in your heart long enough. It's seeped into even the way you talk, the way you look at people, and the way you see yourself. The grudge lives in you, and it is loose in you. It is even affecting your family and your friendships. It's poisoning you. You have this grudge and it's like you want to poison that person out there who hurt you maybe long ago by ingesting the poison yourself. That makes no sense, does it, when you think about it? You harbor the grudge and you do no damage to your enemy. You do damage to your own soul, your mind, your disposition, your emotions, your, your marriage, your children. There's some child in the circle of your life that needs for you to forgive that person who wounded you long ago. And that child has nothing to do with that wound. But they need you to let it go. They need you to let it go. They need you to forgive. So the bitterness will not seep into all aspects of your life. So you can be healed on the inside. That spouse that you say you love, she needs you, he needs you to forgive. Not that they are the offending party, but they are recipients of the bitterness that seeps out of that grudge into all the relationships of your life. And so Jesus says, we got to forgive. All sin stands against the love of neighbor. That is our summary obligation before God. This grudge, it is a virus. It moves through your emotional, spiritual, and intellectual circulatory system. It is cycling through your being right now, touching everything that is you. It is changing you, stunting you spiritually, emotionally. It may even be destroying right now good things in your life. This very day, the thing that you hold in your heart and you know it's black, you know it's ugly, and you know it's angry, 
but you want revenge and you will not turn loose. That grudge, it is alienation. It poisons you and the people near you. Jesus included it in the model prayer. He commented on it afterward. He is teaching us how much of a grinch the grudge really is. He is saying to us, a heart unprepared to forgive is a heart unprepared for forgiveness. Jesus came to the Bethlehem to Bethlehem as a baby. He went to the cross in order that you might be forgiven. God paid such an amazing price to release us from our sin. And he comes with his gracious offer to free us from what holds us captive. And the grudge, the bitter spirit, the desire to have revenge, this anger at an individual is our central captivity. And our heart is not prepared to let it go. Because it's not fair what happened to you. It's not right what happened to you. And I'm not saying it is. This is not justice. We are talking about mercy. We are talking about grace. We are talking about forgiveness that you extend to the one who has done you wrong so that you might be released from the grip of that grudge. And until you are willing to forgive those who have transgressed against you, you are unwilling to receive all that God provided for you in the death of Christ upon the cross. All the benefits of his grace are ready to come to your heart. But you won't receive it because you nurse and nurture and treasure the grudge. And it's the truth. You don't want to let it go. You want to continue. To feel the ill will against that person and wish them ill, whether you do anything ill against them or not, you can't forgive. And you won't. This is the Grinch that steals Christmas. It's the Grinch that makes your heart hard toward the coming of the Savior. And it's the Grinch you must let go. The grudge ends with forgiveness. Bear with each other, the scripture says, and forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. How do I do this? I come to this table. I receive the bread and the cup. And I remember all of my offense against God. 
And I realize that God forgives me every day in so many ways. Not just once does he forgive me, but daily he forgives me. In fact, I come to him knowing my sin. Every day I come saying, Lord, forgive me for that word that slipped out of my mouth, that critical spirit that I expressed, that attitude that I had. That comment I made, that deed that I did, Lord, forgive me. And it's a daily experience. And day after day, week after week, month after month, and even decades, God keeps forgiving this poor sinner who transgresses every day. And often it's the same thing, this besetting sin that comes upon me. And then I come to God and say, I can't forgive him. He's still doing it. I can't forgive her. She's still doing it. How many times am I supposed to forgive these people who offend and offend and offend? Seven times, Peter asked, thinking it was a generous number. I guess he forgot how many times God forgave him. And Jesus says, no, 70 times 7. And this was not a suggestion to Peter that he go in his prayer closet and now start marking them down. One forgiveness, two forgiveness, three forgiveness, four, and I'll just keep track until I get to 490 because I know this guy is going to do it to me. And when I get to 490, I wash my hands and say, no more, that's it, no more forgiveness, I'm done forgiving you. That's not the teaching of the scripture, right? Jesus is not saying, okay, take count, you know, keep record of the wrong. <laughs> keep a good record, and when you get to 490, you're free. You can just be as vengeful as you want to be. That's not the point. The point is, follow God in this, okay? Follow Jesus in this. He forgives day after day. He loves you. He loves to forgive. He forgives his enemies. He forgives those who do him harm. He returns good for evil. And he's challenging you now to follow in his footsteps and live this kind of life of liberation from the grudge. You say, how do I do that? And I know it's a journey. I had to ask myself how I do that. Because after I read these scriptures, in the middle of preparing this message, the Holy Spirit said to me, you have some forgiving to do. And I know it's true. You can be in Christ a long time and still get hurt and wounded deeply and feel anger and resentment and bitterness toward the one who has offended you. I want to invite you to join me today in forgiving. As your act of Christmas worship coming before the one who forgives you would you as an act of worship forgive the one who has offended you will you join me and you say how do I how do I do that how do I do it I think we do it in prayer Jesus taught us to pray forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors it's in the prayer so when we bow our heads in just a minute would you bow your head and let the biggest offense that you still harbor come into your mind? And would you say, Lord, 
forgive me for holding this grudge. I forgive this person who offended me. Would you speak your forgiveness to God? Would you ask God for forgiveness for being so long? And then would you speak your forgiveness to God and in prayer say, Lord, I'm forgiving this person. Prayer is part of what we do to get there. Word says, don't hold the grudge, but love your neighbor. Don't hold the grudge, but love your enemy. I was talking to somebody after the early service, and we said, this is crazy. How can Jesus do this? Every time I come to Bethlehem, every time I come to Jesus, he demands something of me that's just outside the bounds. He wants me to love this person who offended me. Not navigate the room so we never face each other. You know, not tolerate them. So, okay, it's all right for you to be on a planet. Just don't get in my way. No. He wants me to love my enemy. To love the one who has hurt me. This is the kind of love he delivers to us. How can we do this? Only in his grace. So part of our prayer today is, Lord... I forgive them, and Lord, I want to love them. So renew my love. It's not enough to ignore or tolerate. God wants us loving them. Only he can do that in us. The scripture says clearly, that Jesus died on the cross for people who wanted nothing to do with him. He went to the cross voluntarily for people who were his enemies, his sworn enemies. He laid down his life for them. When he was on the cross, he said of his enemies and prayed to the Father, Father, forgive them. This is Jesus. This is Jesus giving us the word, calling us to himself, challenging us to follow in his footsteps, learning to love. Third thing, pray number one, love number two, number three, do good to those who've done evil to you. Do good to those who've done evil to you. Now, I process this too, thinking about how do you do good to somebody who has betrayed you and hurt you deeply, maybe somebody who doesn't want to hear from you ever. Maybe what you do is you do good to them in ways they'll never know. Maybe you do good to them in relationships, in comments. You do good to them as part of forgiving. 
there's something about praying, loving those who curse you, doing good to those who persecute you and do ill toward you. There's something about that that in the process will liberate you from the poison of the grudge lodged in your heart. This is Christmas worship. This is us being serious with the Savior. This is us coming to Bethlehem in all our need. This is us saying, Lord, I'm looking to you because the only way I can forgive is knowing how you've forgiven me. So remind me how far I have fallen, what a mountain of grace I needed, how much mercy you extend every day. And give me enough grace and mercy in your love to do what I must and get rid of this grudge. Let's bow together. We're talking to God. We're searching our hearts. We're looking for the thing that's lodged there that we know is not like him. The resentment, the bitterness, it's the flag inside we're looking for. And now, a moment to forgive. Starting a journey, a process of forgiveness, of love, of doing good. Lord, we confess together that we hang on to these things. Our love hadn't been pure like yours. We know real love keeps no record of wrongs. And yet, God, we do. Lord, would you enable us, help us now to forgive, to speak the word to you, start the love again. Show us how to get from where we are, ensnared and tangled by the grudge, to where we know we need to be, and our family needs us to be, our children need us to be, and our spouse needs to be. God, help us to get there, we pray. So Holy Spirit, do your work in us now. In Jesus' name.